In my experience, conversations are best had with a glass of whiskey. Join me, Alan Kogan, as I engage in meaningful discussions while enjoying a glass of my favorite spirit. Welcome to the Kogan Conversation. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Kogan Conversation. I'm super excited to have back on the podcast, Logan Kaiser and Nicholas Post. First and foremost, cheers, boys. Thanks for coming on. How are you guys doing? Cheers. Doing well, man. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Nick, how about yourself? I'm doing pretty well. I can't complain. I've got a nice glass of whiskey here and uh, having a good chat with some friends. That's what it's about, man. So obviously we had you on before, both of you on before for the Scotch Introduction podcast where we just kind of distill down what is Scotch, what makes it different from bourbon and, and you know Tennessee whiskey or just whiskey in general and uh, the fact that Scotch is a whiskey. Uh, many people don't know that, but uh, I think we did a pretty good job just as an intro and we kind of alluded to the fact that there are six regions of Scotland that have different distilleries and different flavor profiles and all these nuanced things. And uh, I thought a great start would be to go into Speyside, something that I don't know much about. So I know you guys know much, uh, a lot more than I do. I'm, I'm still learning a little bit about Speyside. I know some other regions fairly well. Um, but I poured myself a Glenlevitt Founders Reserve. It is, uh, from my understanding, a space side, a very entry-level space side. It's very sweet and uh, very vanilla forward and has some candy notes and apple and pear. And on the nose, it's very floral. It smells like uh, like fresh a fresh garden, a fresh, uh, fresh flowers. Um, it, it's really interesting. I, I love this scotch, but it's uh, – from what Logan told me off camera, it's a very entry level uh, scotch. So, uh, Logan, what do you what do you know about this, and what do you what are you drinking tonight? So, I'm actually drinking a Glenfiddich 12, which is also a very entry level, in my opinion, scotch. Uh, sits right around 40% ABV, so it sits at the bottom um, as far as the alcohol spectrum goes. But it's a mix of Oloroso and ex bourbon casks. Um, fantastic flavors, actually very similar to the Glenlivet Founders Reserve, where you're going to get some of those fresh fruits that maybe that apple pear honey vanilla and just a little bit of wood spice um so that is kind of one of the hallmarks of the space side that i think is going to carry over if you were to taste these side by side you'd probably actually find a lot of similarities nick what do you have in your glass i've got uh one of my favorites from the mccallan distillery uh the the yearly release of their classic cut um so mccallan every year has done an exclusively uh, sherry seasoned, uh, oak cask, uh, whiskey, uh, bottled at cask strength. So, you know, I love it. <laughs> um, it's got a lot of really, really fantastic vanilla and, uh, and flavors and a lot of sweetness. Uh, very, very warming, uh, really great, uh, whiskey. Again, one of my favorites from the McAllen distillery, a little bit more on the pricey side of things. Uh, versus your two guys, uh, entry levels, but I, I love this. I absolutely love it. Well, I know we're going to go into, into the different brands and distilleries that people probably have heard of. I know McAllen is a, is a pretty big name for people who aren't scotch drinkers. They probably still understand the word McAllen. Um, same with Glen Levitt, I think is pretty well known too. Uh, but Let's start at the very, very basic level. What the hell is Speyside? Is is Speyside a location? Is Speyside a, a flavor? Is it a type of grass? Let's talk about what space. <laughs> let's talk about what Speyside is, and and go from there. So uh, whoever wants to go first, tell me your knowledge. 
So Nick, I'll let you run with it because I'm probably gonna get in a roll. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll I'll just I'll give the I'll give the brief overview. So Speyside is a a very very small by area region inside of the Highland region. Uh, it's pretty much characterized by uh, the River Spey. So Speyside. Um, the river Spey is where a lot of the, not all of the distilleries in Speyside, but a lot of the distilleries get their water from the river Spey. Um, it's geographically up in the, uh, Northeast of Scotland. Uh, it actually accounts, even though it's so small, there are so many distilleries there, um, that it accounts for something like 50 or 60% of the total, um, whiskey produced in Scotland. Uh, just because of all of those distilleries there. Uh, and some of the most well-known uh, whiskey or scotch brands are um, are located there. The Macallan, Glenlevitt, Balvenie, Glenfitch, um, to name just a couple of them. Um, I, I'll turn it over to Logan. I don't want to go rambling on too much either. <laughs> no, I think that generally covered it. Um, one of the things that's fascinating about this region region like you said is the fact that it encompasses more than 50 percent of the entire scotch market and it's a very small geographical portion of actual scotland itself um, one of the reasons being because the river spay there's a lot of rivers that run through that area so there's a large wealth of good freshwater sources for these distilleries so when you're talking about tons and tons of distilleries that are able to use that water they're generally able to recycle about 75% of it and send it back out in the river. So you're not just using it all up. You're not just making whiskey out of all of it, but able to flow through, use as community, commune with nature. Um, it's very, very cool to me. So, I mean, it's, I was someplace I'd love to go. I'm trying to visit as soon as COVID's not still taking over the world. So I'll get there one day. <laughs> yeah, that's. I think that's the goal among all of us is, is uh, do the Bourbon Trail in Kentucky, but also go do the Scotch Distillery Tour in Scotland when we are, when we are able to as a bunch of friends drinking whiskey. Yeah. Um, but uh, what are some unique aspects of, of uh, Speyside? Uh, what, what, what makes Speyside tick? Why is it 50% of the market? Like I said, I think a lot of it's just the availability of that water source like I was talking about. Um, there are so many distilleries that are able to function in that small portion because of the freshwater sources and because of the amount of rivers um, that it's able to produce that much and still say or stay in business and still stay productive. Um, there also just there's a lot of brands there that just do really well, and I think it's because of that character um, of Speyside is so friendly, is so approachable that it's welcoming to a lot of people. Um, a lot of people might know about the Islas or the Speysides. Those are pretty much the two places that people, right off the bat, if they've never touched Scotch, really know of. Um, part of it's because of that marketing aspect, too. So, you know, go back. I'm going to give the most generic, probably mostly correct history lesson, but kind of like during Prohibition, um, when everything started to shut down, Glenfiddich was one of the brands that kind of actually vamped up. Um, their production. Um, so when Prohibition in America ended and other places, they had a massive backstock. And Glenlivet was similar. They didn't have as much backstock. They didn't ramp up their production as much. But they're one of the first people who started exporting to America right after Prohibition ended. Um, and then you have brands like Macallan, which are just factually the experts at marketing in the whiskey world. 
So I'd say between those three, they're, those are the best marketed whiskeys the world over, in my opinion, period. And I think that's part of the reason Space Tide's done so well is because it's a recognizable thing. It's a recognizable character. It's recognizable names. Um, and it's stayed alive. But it's also because they make just really good quality, friendly whiskey. And I think you, uh, the three distilleries that you just listed off there, McAllen, Glenn Levitt, and uh, Glenn Fiddick, are actually the three uh, best-selling single malts in the world uh, as well because of exactly what, what Logan just said. Yeah, that's, that's one thing I'm, I've learned too that uh, when it comes to scotch, like I, I have family members that – like my uncle, he loves scotch. But when he gets a scotch and water at the bar or – you know, just to have, uh, he wants me to get him a bottle of scotch for Christmas or something. And God knows I will not buy him an Isle of Scotch or something that has <laughs> a really unique out of left field profile for someone who doesn't know all the regions. So Speyside sounds like it's that very basic level uh, entry as far as flavor profile, very not confrontational on the mouth. Um, but uh, is that is that what Speyside is known for, or are there Speyside distilleries that play around with more nuanced things? So that definitely is one of the things, but really that's just the entry level. Um, so a lot of the there, there's a, a sort of an, a baseline level uh, it, with Speysides where you get this more uh, it, it's like vanilla and sweet fruit flavors, and that's where that that really soft. Uh, like you were describing, flavor comes from. Uh, but really, one of the things that I love about Speyside distilleries is they are absolutely some of the innovators uh, in the way that they age, the way that they select their casks, the way that they do every go, go about the distillation process. And you get some really unique and interesting uh, flavors. The Balvany Caribbean cask is one of the ones that jumps right to mind where they take some, they take their whiskey and they finish it in. There he is. He's got it right oh, there. Hold on. I have, I, I didn't <laughs> know that was a space. Alan's got one of those, Alan's got one oh. of those two. Yeah. Baldwin, he's, he's got to stand up in his whiskey drink, shelf to get it. I'm, drink, I'm drinking that now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the Balvenie, uh, Caribbean cask is, uh, is, a. it's aged in rum casks, ex rum casks. And it gives it this really unique sweetness. Um, and that, so that being found in the space side region really sort of gives credence to how innovative and creative they are over there too. They're not just that one trick pony where they have all, every distillery has one flavor and that's why they're all lumped into a region. And I would tend to agree with that. I think there's probably a grouping, um, of distilleries that kind of fall into the space side lines. And like I said, when, as we get into it tonight, I'll kind of talk about there's three different categories that I see that Speyside can fall into. Um, and I'd say probably about 20 to 30% do fall in that first category. Um, another 20 30% here. And then the rest is just a massive variation because you can have brands like the Glenlivet, but then you also have brands like Longmorn, which aren't even on the spectrum of the same thing. And it's not even necessarily because the way they finish it, they may age it the exact same, the exact same kind of barrels, but they are innovative not only in their finishing, but in the way they're actually distilling the spirit, whether that's using worm tubes, whether that's changing the size of their stills. It's all kinds of stuff that can change the character of the whiskey. But 
I would say that that is a hallmark is kind of like the Glenfiddich and Glenlivet where it's a apples, pears, honeys, orchard fruits, not necessarily like those deep fruits that you might get in a sherry season, but orchard fruits um, that kind of comes out fresh. And I really enjoy it. And I find that I enjoy it more and more as I go back to it, as my palate changes and likes all kinds of other things as well. Yeah, well, so I'm excited now because I, I, I had no idea. I guess I knew. I just didn't think about it. My Balvini is uh, space size, so I, that's why I eagerly jumped up and pulled it off my shelf. I'm like, oh, well, that gives me another reason to have a dram of my favorites, one of my favorite scotches. Um, <clears throat> I found I found so much love in learning about all the different casks and, and, and the aging process that you know that some of these whiskeys do. So, <clears throat> does does Bal for this as an example? Does Balvini have uh, what we would consider an entry level, like a Glenlivet flavor profile, before they do this special Caribbean, Caribbean, however you want to say it? They do have the double wood. That's one of the things that I, like I said, kind of splits the spectrum though. So their, their double wood is very similar in the way they function um, and the way they age everything to the Glenfiddich, but it's a very different flavor profile. Um, it picks up a lot more of those sherry notes. It picks up a lot more wood spice that you don't necessarily get in the Glenfiddich. It's just, it's a subtle change. And the funny thing about it is that's also one of the ones I was going to mention later is the Glenfiddich and the Balv... Balvenie use the same water source. They're owned, both owned by William Grant and Sons, and they mm. are both inexplicably different, even though they're same owner, same water source, very close to each other, and they're very far apart in terms of spectrum of flavor profiles. Is is there anything to the mash bill with a space side? Is it is it what they have at their disposal? Is it just a preference of that region? Um, is it mostly barley? I know a lot of Scotland focuses on malted barley, um, but what do you know anything about that? Nick, I'll let you take this one, or I'll jump in if I need to. Uh, you can jump in. I just wanted to say a little bit. Um, I think in space side, a lot of the distilleries actually tend to source their barley even more we we would say like locally sourced as like the same city or whatever uh around here but i know there are there are a few distilleries in space that even source their barley from like within a 10 or 15 mile radius of the distillery itself um so i'm not i'm not too certain about mash bill but um a lot of the unique characteristics certainly could come from the distillation process but then also the way that it's treated and aged as well Okay. So yeah. So as far as mash bill goes, um, Scotland tends to stay very traditional. Um, they usually have like two or three yeast strains that are pretty widely used. Um, like bourbons are starting to experiment with a lot of those so they can try to change those flavor profiles. There's traditionally just two or three um, that I'm aware of that are used in Scotland's production. And the mash bill itself is obviously most of what we drink um, and what we probably will end up talking about is going to be single malt. So it's going to be 100% malted barley across the board. Um, a lot of the malted barley can be locally, locally sourced because of the massive distilleries in different places. A lot of it ends up being sourced from England. There's not as much use for it um, in the UK. So they import a lot of that from there as well, depending on what the production numbers are. I mean, if you look at the production numbers for places like Glenfiddich and the Glenlivet, which is just massive, um, another one we'll talk about later. Cardi is the same way. There's just there's not enough farmers in the world, <laughs> so you have to you'll end up importing a little bit at some point. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, to, to be honest, I'm not really sure. Um, it's like I, I feel like I like Logan. I, I I've come back to this, and and I I, I bought this Glen Levitt just because I wanted to try it. And I've become so, so partial to all these smoky and, and salty, unique flavor flavors that exist outside of Space Eye like Isla. And uh, coming back to this, it, it almost is sweeter on the mouth for me. Mm -hmm. um, I enjoy that quite a bit. Yeah, and I would 100% agree. The more I've been able to pick out nuances in things like Ardbeg that can be so overwhelming and dominating the flavor profile, if I can drink those and start to pick out minor tasting notes, I can come back to something I thought was just a simple entry level and there's a wealth of flavor in there that I never could find before that I'm experiencing right. whole new for a first time, even though I've had this hundreds of times before. So I, you have to forgive me. I don't have, uh, what I, the notes that I sent you, uh, prior to we start, cause I am sitting in my, uh, in my new <laughs> setup and I'm using my phone and my laptop at the same time. So, uh, what, what, what's the next step? What, what are we, what are we, what do we want to talk about? How do we want to dive into this? Intro so, of scotches. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what exists out there? I know. So we have, uh, I have out here the, the Glen Levitt. We started with that and we all know that I went and pulled out the Balvini, but I would get, I mean, is there an order as far as price point and, and how do you want to discuss the scotches that exist? So I yeah I'd love to go and like I said one of the ones that I picked out and like I said earlier the reason I picked the few that I did was to kind of encompass the three ranges that I feel like a majority of space sides fall into um, the first of that being that very basic not to say it's generic or not to say it's not fantastic but the hallmark space side flavors which tends to be those pear and apple and honey and wood spice. Um, Glenfiddich is one of those ones, unfortunately with the new single malt taxes, they've started, a lot of these have started to go up in price a little bit. Um, so I think the Glenfiddich 12 sits around $50. So that might be a jump from something like the Glenlivet Founders Reserve, which I believe is between 35 and 40. Yeah, um, 35. <laughs> obviously there are ones that I thoroughly enjoy like the classic cut, but those aren't necessarily what I would consider entry level. You're not going to say, hey, try scotch and right. send somebody and be like, yeah, but you need to spend $100. I right. would 100% all day, every day, because it's fantastic whiskey. But <laughs> maybe not something I'm going to recommend right off the bat. Right. <clears throat> yeah, I get my one bottle of this a year, and that's, that's where I sit. Um, for entry level... Um, keeping it in the same distillery that, that I'm drinking right now. Um, so McAllen actually has, uh, three relative, uh, they, they have a ton of different stuff. Uh, a lot of special limited releases and all of that. One of the, the bottles that I may pull out later is my edition number five from, um, the McAllen. Um, but really they're, their baseline stuff comes in their 12 year aged, um, either the, uh, the sherry Oak, the double matured or the triple cask matured, um, 12 years. And the, the, the differences in, in all of those. And for, I, th I think the, the double matured sits at about $45 right now. Um, so that, that's more of a, that doesn't that that sort of strays away from the the apple and pear 
vanilla y uh, tasting profile of an intro space side and moves more into the sherry aged. Uh, so you get a lot of bang for your buck with that sherry um, and not having it uh, 45 bucks, it's not going to break the bank. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'd, like I said, I'll probably go and do a few of these a lot, and I'll probably end up talking about one or two distilleries more than others um, just because of those Hallmark flavors. But, like, I'll show you an example, and one of the ones I'm sipping on right now because I could is the Glenfiddich. Another example of Masters of Marketing. You want to bring somebody into a brand-new experience, a brand-new scotch. If I can go pick up three different kinds of those small 200-milliliter bottles for $50, and try a few things versus have my entry point be, I have to spend $50 just to see if I like this. And I know the Glenlivet does the same thing. You can go buy a little bottle of their, like I think it's a half bottle of the Glenlivet 12 for maybe $25. Sure. And it gives you that experience wow. and kind of gets your foot in the door without feeling like you're paying a lot. Um, there's a couple other entry levels that kind of fall into that. The Glenrothes does, but it ends up being a little bit more candied. Um, the uh, Ben Riek, it's going to be a little bit of a jump and a little bit more sherry flavor. But a lot of them do fall into that. And I feel like this is a great place for a lot of people to start because when you talk about Islas or some people might not like rum flavors, some people might not like sherry flavors. But if I tell you the general idea of what I'm going to get out of this, if I'm trying to compare this to a total food, this Glenfiddich 12 is poached pears for me. Poached pears with a little bit of honey drizzled on top. That sounds good to just about everybody. Yeah, and it's it hard to turn that away mm-hmm. from. So it's a, it's a great way to introduce people without scaring them off. So uh, is, and this might be a dumb question, but is any whiskey that ha- or any scotch that has the word Glen in front of it, is that a Speyside? No. Because there is, no. okay. I, I didn't think so. I, there's like a thousand of them out there that have Glen. Mm-hmm. So I think um, a majority of them fall into that. Glens kind of just refer to, if I'm not mistaken, I always mix this up. So the spays are the water, like that's the, so they're talking about the river spay. Glen, if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong, tends to be like an area, kind of like a little valley or depression. So it's almost like a location um, in the glen of something is where a lot of these are going to sit. Okay. Yeah, because the first the first thing that came to mind was uh, Glenn Farkas. Glenn Fark is it Farkless? Farkless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Farkless, and uh, and you're drinking Glenfiddich. Yeah, so um, I mean, there's definitely tons of them in space side because you have Glenfiddich, Glenlivet, Glenrothes, Glenn Farkless, uh, Glenn Moray. Yeah, Glenn Moray, which also just side note is another one of those that definitely fits in their character. Their traditional American oak is a great hallmark, and they actually have. Um, I think it's their Elgin Classic line, so I can speak to a different side of that. So for people looking to maybe experience new things, they're going to be a little bit more on the simpler side. So for people who are delving into scotch, it might, like in trying to get deep in the weeds, it might not be that interesting to them. But their Elgin Classic lines sit about $35 on the shelf, which is a fantastic entry price point. And they have a port finished, a sherry finished, a chardonnay finished, and then one that's just an American oak. And for, so for $120, which is what, if, to me, I can spend that on one good bottle. And you can try four different flavors of whiskey to kind of see where your palate sits or get together with a couple of buddies and all just bring a $30 bottle. 
it's not going to hurt anybody. It's not going to break the bank. And it kind of gives you a different experience to kind of say, no, I'm not a huge fan of port. I'm not a huge fan of sherry. Chardonnay is interesting. Are there other places doing that? There's really only a couple. But it gives you kind of a baseline of where your flavor is going to lend itself. Yep. And if I may shout out that Glen Murray port cask finished, I've had a bottle of that before. Man, is it good. And I'm a huge fan of uh, the port cask finished uh, scotches, but that Glen Murray is really nice. Mm-hmm. I, I think, honestly, port port or sherry finish, anything for me, that depth of sweetness that it adds is just perfection. I, I have not had anything Chardonnay finished yet. So, so you haven't had a Chardonnay finished, but I believe you've had a Sauternes finished, which is a different type of white wine. And that is a fantastic way to do it too. It's a different flavor than probably of anything you've ever experienced, but that's the uh, Glenmorangie Nectar de Or. Yep. And another white wine, something you'd never think of that you try and you're like, whoa, okay, I could, I could get behind this. <laughs> Yeah, I God, I I, I want to just open a distiller and try all the things. <laughs> um, no, so uh, Logan, walk us through what, what you have in the sampler. I'm actually really curious about the Glenfiddich. It was it a three pack that had. Yeah, so that sampler is a mix of the. It's the three different Glenfiddichs that I grabbed. So the first one's Glenfiddich 12. Um, the second one is the Glenfiddich 15, which is actually one that's very interesting to me. The price point for a full bottle jumps up to I think it's eighty dollars for the 15. Um, and they do what, a, what I believe Blade & Bow is doing in American Bourbon, but in a different style. So Blade & Bow uses Solera aging. Um, this uses a Solera vat technique. So every time they pull the mash bill out, they're only pulling 50% of their mash bill out of the vat. Mm. So it's, it's might, it might be somewhat similar to a sour mash in American whiskey because a sour mash takes that top layer and leaves a little bit of a behind for the next mash bill, um, but like maybe taking it to another extreme. And it imparts, in my opinion, a lot of extra flavor. Um, I believe I like the 15 more than the 18, and the 18 can jump to $120, depending on where you're buying. Uh, but it's the, for me, it's the melding of those characteristics of the 12 and the extra oakiness you might be able to get in the 18. Gotcha. So that's then that's kind of moving away from those entry levels and kind of imparting their own flavors. So to me, the 15 and 18 is where you start to get those distillery characteristics and all, they all have that same base where you're going to get some of those notes in the background, but they start to develop more individuality. Yeah. It seems to me that at space side, uh, a younger space side still has that basic characteristic that space side is known for, but the more aging process that goes on is when you start to get away from that. Is that true for space side generally? Or cause I know, like Macallan 12 is, it's a very basic scotch to me, but Macallan 18 is a whole nother level of scotch. Uh, as, yeah, as far as the, uh, the entry level characteristics, again, it, it, it depends on how it's treated after the fact, but yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the younger age statements, you can find a lot more similarity between the Macallan 12 double matured versus the, uh, and, and maybe the Glenfiddich 12 or the, uh, Balvenie 12, as different as we've already said that those, uh, bottles are, you find a lot more similarity between those than you could a Glenlivet 18, uh, plus a Glenfiddich 18 and a Macallan 18 
And then yes. the Balvenie doesn't have an 18, but they have the 17 uh, double wood. Mm-hmm. Um, all of those, you, you start to deviate really drastically. Interesting. So what what should I pour next? Because I started with the, the, the basic Glen Levitt. So, I have my... Cr- Go ahead. I'm going to try to keep you in line with kind of what I'm sorry. I didn't mean to jump on you. I'm going to try to keep you in line with kind of what I was trying to display in those three different groupings. Um, that first one tends to be those ripe fruits and honeys. The next one moves towards, still has some of those fruit flavors, but tends to edge itself towards wood spice um, and add a couple more of those dry baking spices. So I'm going to say go for the Craig Ellicke 13. Um, okay. I think you saw me reaching for the Balvini and you slapped my hand away and said, not yet, Alan. <laughs> Just maybe. So as right. you pour that, I'll kind of talk through my next pour I had is the Cardu. So this is a Cardu 12. Um, definitely easily distinguishable bottle. There's not much shaped like it. It's got these like funky indentions going in on the side. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it's actually one of the best-selling single malts in the entire world. But not a lot of people know it, know what it is, and not a lot of people have experienced this one at all. Um, it is the base for a lot of Johnny Walkers, so they do a lot of business there. So when people tend to like Johnny Walkers, it's going to be a majority of what makes a lot of this up. I'm not very specific on which ones it is, so I can't go that far into depth, but... This is the next one that's another one of those entry levels. I think you can grab them for around $50 to $55. That's going to be very approachable, very smooth. It's it's elegant, but it does lend itself more towards the spicy notes and those baking spice and characteristics and wood notes than a Glenfiddich or Glenlivet. But it's still what I consider a very entry level and still has hallmark characteristics of a space side. Gotcha. So, yeah, I so first of all, I've had this before. Uh, obviously, it was open, but uh, I've never had it directly after the Glen Levitt Founders Reserve. Mm-hmm. And this is such a shift, um, not a stark shift, but it's a shift in like first of all, that wood spice adds to that. It almost tastes like there's a more a higher ABV, but it's not. It's just a spice. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the floral notes to me are completely gone. Uh, if there's no front end floral at all, uh, and it definitely has more of a baking spice, baking. It's 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 interesting. Yeah, and that's the same idea that I get on the cardio. I get a lot more honey coming through on as well. Yeah. Um, you still so it's more almost like a background note of those I have, fresh fruits. Uh, yeah, I ha- it's like the, it's a sweet in the back end, but I'm getting a front heavy with uh, some cinnamon and some cloves. Uh, but that's uh, that, that's com- that's pretty cool to come back to it after a sweet basic scotch and try something new. Yeah, and for me, when you come up to those, it's kind of ends up you move into you're starting to move the direction of those whiskeys that end up a little bit more rounded. So with those wood notes come some of the oils some of that long finish and stick to your notes. So it's a, these tend to be about a medium finish, but it's going to stick to your tongue more and give you kind of like that lasting dry spice on the back end, which I really enjoy. Now, Nick, I know you are a massive McAllen fan. Uh, McAllen is your specialty, but what, what's your, what's your go-to McAllen and, and why is it your go-to and what, what, what McAllen falls in the realm of what Logan and I are kind of talking about? So if I had to gun to my head picking a go-to McAllen that isn't going to break my bank, 
I'm, I, I mean, the entry level is, it, it really does take on a lot of, it's sort of like an in-between, like a bridge almost between that, those two levels that, that, that we've been talking about. Um, cause it deviates from the, just the, the pear and the apple sweetness to get more of that sherry sweetness. Um, something interesting, um, for the McAllen's, uh, in that double, uh, that double oak matured is what they do is they, so it's not, they don't import casks, uh, for the triple oak matured, they import, uh, ex bourbon casks. Um, and, and they finish, uh, or they, they age a part of the, the, the bill in those ex bourbon casks. But what they do is they probably from the same, uh, place that the Kentucky bourbon distilleries get their barrels from, they have American Oak cut and then they ship it off to Spain, uh, and season it with sherry for 18 months before they take it over and age it. So it's the same Oak that you would get from the bourbon, but it's sherry seasoned, not bourbon seasoned. So you get a lot of this really, uh, this really sweet, uh, and again, a different kind of sweet than that, uh, than that pear or apple. It's, it's more of a, a sharp sweetness, uh, for that you would get from a sherry. Uh, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm going for that, and McAllen is always going to run you a little bit more, no matter what, right. what you're drinking. So right. the, the 15 year aged, uh, offerings are pretty good. And before the single malt tax hit, um, the classic cut was around $95, uh, which was still a little bit pricey, but it was, it was a little bit better than it is now. Um, and the, the, actually the additions as well, um, the addition number five, um, though, and, and the four, three, two, uh, those were sitting at about $90 a piece. So, um, as far as McAllen goes, that's probably the intermediate price point. Um, I think the 15s run probably about 80 or $85 as well. So, um, that's about where that sits. I kind of figured your go-to is going to be the rare cask, but I guess I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's a special occasion only, uh, $250 bottle of bottle of McAllen right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as much not, as I'd love to drink it all the time, <laughs> I'm not at that well, point in my life yet. <laughs> well, Logan kind of said before that uh, McAllen has been like the genius of marketing. They're, all of their expensive scotches have these beautiful, ornate boxes that, oh, like, you open so up nice. a trap. You open up a trap door and like uh, butterflies fly out before you open the bottle. It's wild. <laughs> yeah, they're 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 so beautifully made. And, and really, if you if anybody finds themselves wanting to go, really see what high end scotch looks like, go find the Macallan. Uh, all of the, there are there are th- bottles of Macallan that go for thousands and thousands of dollars. The um, I forget what the series is called. Um, but they all come in crystal bottles, uh, the Macallan M, the Macallan, I think V. Yeah. So there's the Macallan Oscuro that has crystal and there's yeah. a, uh, Macallan M edition, which I think that sits around, I think you can resell the bottle for th- three or 4,000. Yeah. I think I remember, <laughs> if I, if I, if I'm remembering correctly, I think the, 
the V is is somewhere like two thousand dollars, and the M is somewhere like five to six thousand dollars per bottle. So, and but they're just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, the 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 bottle work, the the crystal bottles that they come in, uh, they're all ba- they're basically just decanters. They're crystal decanters. Uh, they're they're fantastic. I so I, I know the editions are they're they're one and done uh, I, I guess recipes right uh, or aging you know whatever it's not the same they don't really re-release it every time but the uh, they're at number six now and six I don't know if it just came out but I, I've seen it in stores and I have not picked one up yet and I I know that I probably should snag one just because well it's I'm at jealous MSR. yeah. I'm jealous that you've been able to see it in stores yet. It hasn't hit. It hasn't hit the Milwaukee liquor stores quite yet. Yeah, it's a. Uh, it's this real beautiful like teal blue. Like, yeah, it's uh, like a sky think, blue, like, sky blue box. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's kind of cool looking. I want it. <laughs> yeah. Well, when we when we get around to it a little bit later on, and I finish this glass of whiskey here, I was gonna pour myself the last of my as I look down longingly. Uh, the, the rest of my McAllen edition number five. Oh. Um, and I, I'm actually, I, I love talking about the, the, that series. Um, cause it's, it's all so well done. Uh, something that I actually didn't realize until just a little while ago is that the, the attention to detail that they, they, they gave when they, they made, when they, when they made these was such that, the the decimal point on the alcohol content, the edition number one is forty eight point one percent. The number two is point two, point three, point four, point five, point six. So every every detail about all of these, and they all have their own different stories too. The number two, they they went to um, the owners of a restaurant that had won a restaurant best restaurant in the world, uh, I think twice, and they they put together a special. Uh, marrying of casks with the owners of that restaurant. The edition number three, they they went to a perfume manufacturer uh, and uh, and worked with them to create. Uh, that's actually my favorite one. The aroma that comes off of that bottle is just like nothing I've ever had before. Um, so I love I love drinking them and I love talking about them. If I did have the money, that would be my go. Those would be my go tos. Absolutely. <laughs> What what makes them? And obviously, the the single run is is part of the speciality of it. But what is there anything unique about the mash bill, or, or not the mash bill, but the the process that they're doing something differently? Is it aging? What mm-hmm. what what makes it? Oh yeah, okay. absolutely. So what what ends up going on is they they have they they look at all of the all of the casks that they have available to them, and they go through and they 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 taste and they they sniff and they try and decide on the, the, and they all have themes to them. I think the theme of the edition number six is, uh, the waters, the, of the river spay. Um, the, the number five was the color. Um, so they, they worked with the color Institute and they came up with this new shade of purple for the, which looks very nice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but they all have, they all have this unique little story behind them. Uh, for the history of the McAllen distillery. Uh, so all of the, uh, quote unquote, I suppose, quote unquote, mash bill is not really a mash bill. It's the, the makeup of the, uh, of the, the run, uh, from the barrels that they have is totally unique and selected 
to meet that goal that they're of the story that they're trying to tell. Interesting. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to snag a, a, a number six just to have it on my shelf um, as soon as I can, especially because I could save it and sell it for thousands down the road. <laughs> <laughs> the moment that I see it up here, I'm I'm buying it. I may buy two. I don't know. We'll see. Do you know how large how large the run is? Is it a, a considerable amount or is it just? I don't. Logan, do you know? I am not aware of this. I don't know how many bottles they're doing. I just, as I said, this is the last year they're doing it. So with the yeah, final run out and I've loved watching it happen, um, seeing how excited people like Nick get about it. It is <laughs> an interesting hot take on the different parts of whiskey. Um, like I said, they are masters of marketing. And one of the things that I enjoyed about the fact they did this, it brought a new level to the attention to detail that I think gets a, missed a lot in whiskey of how much your water source can change which is what the six has done there's another one that focused on how much the aroma of what you're drinking is going to change what you taste how much the barrel that you age this in is going to influence your whiskey how much color can be taken on from different types of seasonings whether it's a seasoned barrel whether it's a completely sherry aged oak barrel or whether it's american oak or french oak how much those little nuances throughout the project of people like oh it's thrown in wood it's, it's there's so much more to it than that and i think it brought attention to that side of the art that is scotch whiskey and whiskey in general and how many different small pieces have to go into it and how much changing those pieces even within the same distillery can create such different whiskeys. Yeah. So speaking of those small pieces, I, I, I wanted to read the, or at least paraphrase the back of my uh, Craig Alecki, uh, which I'm still not confident in pronouncing. Uh, <laughs> you got it right, I think. I uh, I want to say Craig Alecki, the C-H. Just anyway, uh, <laughs> just, just don't. <laughs> So uh, it, it apparently they they focus on the worm the worm tube, uh, the worm, a worm tube is a long copper tube sitting in a large tank of cold water which snakes back and forth and gradually gets narrower. In 1891, many distilleries condensed their spirit this way, giving the the uh, their whiskeys a distinctive meaty character. Kragalecki is one of uh, very few still benefiting from this traditional technique. So, okay. Uh, that's a lot of science right there. How does a copper tube that's cooled and snaked make my whiskey taste meaty? So if I'm not mistaken, I'm, <laughs> I'm not a scientist by any means. Nick is a scientist. But um, the way the worm tubes work is kind of the opposite of the way like Glenmorangie's copper stills works. They, Glenmorangie uses really tall copper stills. So the lighter and the lightest parts of the spirit get to the top. Um, so it's not quite as dense when it gets there, which offers this light fruit, beautiful, bright, almost like a vibrant whiskey is what I would call it. Um, worm tubes almost work this, the opposite in, from my understanding is that they very literally condense it. So you end up with a heavy oily. And so those flavors are condensed into like very thick oils versus a very thin, bright spirit. So it gives it a lot of density. Um, so those flavors are all packed in there. When you get them, they hit 
really hard. It's not just like, oh, I can taste this. It's like you're going to taste what's in this bottle as soon as it hits your tongue because it's going to coat everything and it's going to stay there. Yeah, that's uh, – now that you say the coat, it really is like I, I'll set this down and I'll talk to you guys for a second, but I have this lingering aftertaste. It's like mm-hmm. a – Nice long finish. Yeah, I, I don't know what the flavor is. I can't place it. Um, it's not it's not meaty to me. Um, it's almost uh, just a hint of brine and I think uh, some some leftover like vanilla and and cloves from the uh, the, the, the the initial palate. But uh, you know, I think it's really interesting that this is why I kind of love learning about and, and drinking whiskey is that there's just more to it than like what if you go to the bar and have a Jack and Coke. Like it's not just. It's not just a mixed drink thing. It's like a, it's got a lot of nuance in what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so this Craigalacky is aged thirteen years. Uh, I picked it up on a whim. I think it's in the price point of around fifty to sixty bucks. That's uh, okay. It, it, would you consider this a mid shelf whiskey? Is this a uh, still kind of reaching into the you know maybe a little past beginner intermediate stage or, or how would you define this? I would consider that a mid-shelf. Um, I okay. think that's one of the ones where could you enjoy it as a brand new person? Absolutely. Um, I think it's more of when you're starting to move into do I like those fresh over fruits. So one of the other things I get on the Craig Alecky when I drink it is green apple, specifically mm-hmm. like almost like a little bit of that sour bitterness that you get out of a green apple you don't get in pears or red apples. Um, I enjoy that. Um, when you're starting to start to pick up some of those notes, start to pick up the wood spice and like, oh, it's just kind of like it burns a little bit. When you can start to distinguish the difference between alcohol burn and wood tannins. Yep. Um, when you can distinguish the dryness afterwards, like, oh, I get this dryness of like, but it's dry baking spices. It's cinnamon nutmeg versus just my mouth feels tacky. <laughs> and not to saying that that's a bad thing. It's just it, it takes time to develop your taste buds and to get there um so i'd say it's one that's moving towards that i don't necessarily like i said if you can get one like the glenlivet that's 20 dollars cheaper until you're there i don't think it's necessary i think i would still enjoy it but it is going to be it might be a little bit more off-putting with some of those notes if you're not prepared for them sure yeah definitely i i would i would tend to agree i think it's probably um, sort of maybe another tangent off of like the beginner to intermediate range, like the, uh, a different tangent than the McAllen 12. Um, but it, like Logan was saying, it, maybe, maybe you, if you don't like that, it, it's not something that you would get right off the bat, but it's priced such that if you want, if, if you were, if you had tried a couple of different space sides and you wanted to move up in the world, but not pay through the nose to get a McAllen or something like that, or a, one of the the higher priced Balvenies like the Caribbean cask, that's definitely a really good option. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of it. I, I found it. Uh, I've had the benefit uh, living in this area of going into to, uh, Washington, D.C. that has a bunch of crazy amount of alcohol selection. <laughs> and... and <laughs> on accident uh and and getting away from the the state-owned abc liquor stores here in virginia but uh i found this on accident i'm like that uh I, i've heard it before i've never had it i i like the label and i know it's a space i i don't have that many space sides in my collection so i thought hey i'm gonna try it and i'm glad i did because this is uh 
this is a pretty good scotch. Um, yeah. As far as cast strength goes, is 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 Speyside known for having cast strength, or is it? Because I know there's a lot of distilleries that pride themselves on their like a lot of their flagships are cast strength releases that they that they market to the nth degree. But I I don't McAllen has a some cast strength, but I've never I don't think I could name you one Glenn Levitt cast strength that has been out there. I'm sure can, Logan, you can tell me. I can name three. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. I get it. I get it. You know more than me, but. <laughs> So I don't know. I guess speak to that. What's is cast strength? Does that bring out more flavor? Do you think in the in the in the space side or is space side space side? Absolutely. So I'll, I'll just <laughs> <laughs> so I'll jump in. So cast strength tends to be one of those offerings that kind of lends itself towards people who are already mild enthusiasts um, who already tend to drink. A decent amount. So if you tend to like a specific distillery and you like the flavor profile, it can enhance that flavor profile, but it also brings a lot of new notes that get lost. Um, I, I believe we probably talked a little bit about this before, but one of the things that whiskey drinkers start to look for eventually is nuance. Mm. Cast strength whiskeys allow you to find more nuance because from my limited understanding of the science of it or just personal experience, the higher the alcohol volume, the the less water is in there. So you have more oils, the thicker the texture is going to be. Um, those oils allow you to trap more scents, more flavors, things that might get lost in translation as the water gets added and gets brought down. Um, master distillers are unbelievable, or absolute geniuses in the way that they add the water. There's actually a scientific process on how to add water to get it down to a proof and not lose a certain amount of flavor. But just by circumstance, it's going to happen. So it allows you to just pick up a lot of things you might not normally do. Like Glenlivet has their Nadura series. That's um, what I was thinking of as well. And they have them in all different finishes. So if you happen to like one of their finishes, it's excellent. One of my and I know I brought this to Nick's attention at some point and it became one of his favorites too. Aberlauer has the Abuna, which is unbelievable. Yeah. Oh, there it is. <laughs> and that is a casting right offering. And as a casting offering, that's one of the best space sides I've ever had. And I absolutely adore that whiskey. So I, I think it's just one of those things you kind of develop a feel for, but as an entry level, all your, that flavor gets lost because there's too much burn. To add a specific example as well, on top of what Logan was just saying, uh, what I'm just finishing up right now, this classic cut. So this is an exclusively sherry oak aged McAllen. Uh, the other line of exclusively sherry oak aged McAllens are the sherry oaks, the 12, the 15, the 18. So if you take a 12 sherry oak and this, uh, the 12 sherry oak, uh, I don't know the exact alcohol content, probably sitting like 42%. Uh, McAllen doesn't doesn't put anything to 40, I don't think. So it's probably 42 or so. Um, but you get, a, you get a lot of that sherry flavor, but it, it, it leaves relatively quickly and you still have some of those entry level, like uh, the vanilla and the fruity uh, flavors to it. But with this classic cut, you, you have that same vanilla and that sweetness but the mouth, the, the finish that you get, and the, it just coats your mouth and sticks with you for 
a, a, a couple of minutes afterwards. It's a really long finish with that cask strength uh, versus the 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 normal alcohol content. I've definitely become partial, whether it be in space side or, or any, any whiskey, really any, any, any bourbon, um, anything that lingers in the mouth and gives that, that, that lasting flavor and, and kind of coats your tongue, coats your mouth in a, either a sweetness or a smoke or a, a, a meated flavor. I love that. I, there are a lot of bourbons and, and, and other whiskeys out there that, they try to get unique with this, you know, you have a real oily, uh, thin flavor uh, profile to it. I'm not a big fan of that. And I think in, in space side, at least the space sides that I've tried, I'm sure there are ones that are different, but uh, the Glenn Levitt really stuck with me and the Krakalecki, even right now I'm talking, I haven't had a sip in maybe over a minute. And it's still, I can still taste that kind of a, it's almost like a molassesy texture that still lingers on the mouth. And I, I, I find myself enjoying that more than something that just escapes right away. Uh, and I, I mean, that just might be preference, but, and that's not, that's not something that Speyside is known for, or is it? Is that, is that something that is unique in Scotland to Speyside? I mean, I, I don't think it's necessarily unique to Speyside. Um, I do find that I find that more in base level scotches than I do in base level bourbons. Um, mm. I think part of that is just because of the process they use and the aging of it in general. So you, when you're talking about, even if it's just the angels share where those able, where those flavors are allowed to meld together over certain periods of time and your base level scotches are generally going to be 12 years aged. So even if they don't impart as much flavor from the barrel that they're aging in, over that time, those flavors tend to mellow. You lose more of the angel's share. You develop more in terms of the chemical structure over 12 years, whereas 8 to 12-year-old bourbon is kind of – it's it's mid-shelf. Anywhere from 2 to 7 years old is going to be kind of like your bottom shelf stuff. So there's just not as much time for those flavors to meld together. Not to say there's not some unbelievably good bourbons in that age range. There absolutely are. Um, but as, if you're speaking to majority wise, I think that is one of the hallmarks of scotch. And I don't know if it's because of malted barley. I don't know if barley specifically takes on characters that you might not get out of corn and wheat or rye or grain or other barley, whatever is used in whatever bourbon mash bill they have. But I don't know. for me, that's that's something that works better in base scotches. So. Before we just keep drinking more, I want to pour one more with you guys. But <clears throat> what what exists in Speyside? What what are what are some unique characteristics that are only unique to Speyside? And what would you tell to someone who wants to go to the store who who might listen to this or might talk to us and say, "Hey, I want to go try Speyside." Would you tell them to go get a Glen, a Glen Levitt, or would you tell them, "Hey, <clears throat> excuse me, could you, if you find a." Like a three-pack sampler like you did with that Glen, Glenfiddich or get the small, I, th- I don't know how, I think it's a 375 of uh, the Glen Levitt 12 and then also get something that's also unique like this uh, Craigalecki or something else that can move you into that nuanced profile. What would be your recommendation? What, what should someone look for? What's in a label? What's in marketing? How should you avoid you know, reading the you know, single malt handcrafted XYZ perfectly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Gosh, if, if you, if, if it's available and you can find something like Logan's three pack of the Glenfiddichs, 
or a small bottle of something else. I, I think that's a great way to try pretty much anything. Uh, you get so much more like the Johnny, Johnny Walker does a really good job of that too. Right. They have, they have their little sampler of what I think it's black. Is it the black, the gold and the blue or something that they do a, uh, like a 200 ml bottle of, um, mm-hmm. that's a great way to try it. Um, other, if I had to, if, if you didn't have that available to you, I would probably say, look around for, um, something like, uh, uh obviously my bias is going to come in a little bit here. Look around for that, 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 that bottom shelf McAllen, the McAllen 12 as the outlier. And then for something lighter looking, um, the, uh, Glenfiddich 12 or another 12 year that that's nice and light from Speyside and then something else, maybe your Kragalaki would be really good too, um, to get a, a great idea of, uh, of everything that it has to offer and to see what you like the most. Mm-hmm. I agree. If I can find the sampler packs, like I said, even with all the bottles they have on my shelves, I still tend to go for the sampler packs anyway. Um, just cause it, one, that's a great value. So this is a 200 mLs of three different whiskeys. It's a $50 bottle, an $80 bottle, and a $110 bottle. So to buy all three of those would be extraordinary to me. And I think I got this for $55. So what it would have cost me for one bottle, the cheapest one of the three, is very narrow, narrowly what I paid for 600 versus 750 mLs of three whiskeys two of which are far more expensive than what I would have paid for. It's like for me, I'm getting my money. I'm also able to experience different things because because I do enjoy different whiskeys and like trying new things, I don't tend to go through bottles very quickly. So to buy a whole bottle is going to take me a while. So if I can try a couple different things that I'm not buying extraordinary amounts of, I always enjoy that. So... I'm going to pour one more, and I, I, Logan, I'll let you direct me because I have my Craigenmore and my Balvini, but uh, we're going to have one more uh, little dram, and let's it, kind of wrap up uh, Speyside, what is Speyside, uh, and kind of make this full circle, uh, just kind of distill what we all talked about and, and, and what your favorite part of Speyside is, what your go-to glasses are, uh, as Nick cracks open his number five. <laughs> <sighs> I've waited for this. <laughs> And I'm just going to pour half of what I have left, just so I have a little taste left for later. There you go. There, wow. that, can be with the, that can be the cigar, the after show cigar. There you go. <laughs> so I'm probably going to direct you towards the Balvenie. Um, okay. One, because agree. it's what I'm drinking. Um, <laughs> two, because it fits into the kind of that third category of Speyside once you start moving away from those things. So once you move past those two benchmarks that we spoke about earlier, you moved into the outliers, the experimental, the phenomenal things that a lot of people in Speyside and a lot of other distilleries are also trying to do. And the Caribbean cask from the Balvenie is one of them. Yep. And it's it's a fantastic dram. It's balanced. It's sweet. It's not overpowering. I think because I even tried, I tried the Caribbean cask from uh, the Glenlivet. And I also tried the Cognac cask. And they're not terrible, but they haven't perfected it yet. I feel like yeah. as far as putting a rum cask finished whiskey, the Balvenie is the first one to have mastered that. And each different 
companies have mastered certain ways of doing things. The McAllen has mastered sherry seasoned and completely sherry aged scotches. Um, there, there's a, just a different version of it because a lot of them blend to a certain profile. Uh, so they might mix ex bourbon plus first fill sherry plus third fill sherry. They might mix the Pedro Zimenez sherry versus Oloroso sherry cast to achieve a acidic profile. And it takes a level of trial and error. And the Balvenie got it right. Like, really got it right. So, yeah, I. So I'll be honest. I when I when I first started really drinking whiskey, this was one of the first scotches I tried, and I shouldn't say one of the first. I've had scotch before, but this was one of the first. I would say expensive. Like I went to the bar and felt confident about ordering. I'm going to order uh, the Caribbean cast neat and felt all you know fancy, um, not knowing anything about it. Right, but uh, and of course our mutual friends who who also drink sc- uh, scotch they they love this. Uh, I fell in love with this instantly. Because I love a sweeter, uh, tropical type. This puts me on the beach. It, they, like you said, they perfected the, the Caribbean uh, aspect of this. Even on the nose, it, it almost has this hint of uh, like a, a sweet vanilla, coconut. It's really interesting to me. But I've tried the Glen Levitt Caribbean cask, and that is, I think it's like 35 bucks versus this one, which is, I think, upwards of 80 And... Mm-hmm. Now the Glen Levitt is, is is great for the price that it is, and I would never turn down a dram of that. But it it also tastes like it's thirty five dollars, in comparison to the this. Perf- I think you, I mean, I, I'm just saying I agree with you. It's long winded way to say I agree with you that this Balvini Caribbean cask is near and dear to me because it's one of the first very expensive scotches that I've tried, mm-hmm. um, and it's just it's awesome. I can't speak more highly of a scotch. And I would agree. For me, it's like, it's the mix of, it's got that sweetness to it. It has spice that comes in in the background. You still get just enough for me alcohol burn to like let you know that it's there, but it's not overpowering. But one of the things I love about some, not all, but some finished whiskeys or uh, Asian rum cask or sherry cask, there's been very few distilleries who have able who have been able to instill a creamy character. And that, that, that might sound foreign inside of something that's a whiskey and it's burned, it's thin and it's viscous, but there's almost like a creamy texture to it. And this is one of the whiskeys that picks that up. Um, Glendronic for me is another sherry cast one that picks it up. It's like creamy. Definitely. It's almost got yeah. like a buttery texture to it. Yeah. But you don't buttery tend to pick up on a lot of different whiskeys. Yeah, I would agree, Nick. But buttery, buttery is, is a good example. I think that creamy is almost off-putting, but you're right. <laughs> <laughs> that that butter, the buttery mouthfeel, where it's 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 doing the same thing as like an oily. It's still coating your mouth, but it's not it's not that thin oily. It's got a little bit more feel to it. Uh, that that's I think when we were we were sitting down for a, a cigar chat, and I had just poured some of the Glendronic Fifteen that Logan had recommended me. Uh, and I think the first word out of my mouth was buttery. Uh, Cause it, it totally is. Mm-hmm. So that's like I said, the third part that I kind of wanted to look at as far as like the experimentation, when you're talking about sherry age cast, when you're talking about rum cask, when you're talking about even going from the Glenfiddich to the eight, 12 to the 18, or even the 15 that has a Solera vatting, 
there's so much experimentation going on that it's, 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 they're hard to fit into categories. So each of these regions that we're going to talk about going into this are going to have a few hallmarks. They're also going to be a lot of outliers, and especially when you're talking about like 30, 40 distilleries, of course, you're going to have outliers. There's some stuff, like I said, I mentioned earlier, Longmorn, that doesn't even fit on the spectrum of what Speyside would be expected to be. Um, but I am I, enjoying it. Um, I enjoy the history, looking the back ones. Like I said, I forgot to mention one of the ones I had mentioned in the middle, Cardew, that 12. It is the base for uh, Johnny Walker, for a lot of Johnny Walkers. One of the reasons I looked it up is I had read a history story about Cardew and about the two women who pretty much ran the distillery. Um, I think it was the Cummings and the Cummings family. And when this started, the dude was out working on his farm every day and his wife would be back home making whiskey, selling it to passerbys, like sticking bags of it underneath her skirt to walk into town to sell people. The cops would come by to try to shut him down because the stilling was still legal. And she would douse herself in a flower to get rid of the smell and invite them into her house and like have these cops come and stay in her house overnight and send them on their way the next morning and then walk out the door for whiskey. <laughs> and her, as well as her daughter-in-law, like basically kept this place running for a hundred plus years um, and had all this stuff going on. And it's just, for me, that was an interesting look into one, the changes and I like learning about the history, but also kind of like brought about the realization looking at some of the distilleries that I love that are going on today that have a traditionally male dominated field that no one thinks about like women being master distillers. I certainly didn't. And I don't mean say that to mean anything. It's just, that's not something I think about whenever you're watching these videos and you're thinking about scotch, you see an old dude in a suit by a fireplace, with a cigar. Like that's what I think <laughs> of when I think scotch and like, another distillery I love that's in the space I region, Ben Reick, their master distiller, uh, I think it's Rachel Berry, is phenomenal. And like 30 years ago, you wouldn't have had a master distiller anywhere that was female. So that's like, that's what I, it got me curious enough to buy Cardu based off of their story. And it's one of the ones picked up that I love. Kalila was the same way. It's one of those ones that goes into blends that not as many people drink of and traditionally didn't even have a single malt because they sold all their stuff to other companies. And you try and you're like, why do you sell anything that's not your own single malt? This is amazing. Oh, right. Gosh. <laughs> I, it, it, that's one of the ones that I wish we got more of up here is, is the Colila. Cause I can only get the 12 up here and it's one of my favorite bottles. That smoky sweetness that it has is just killer. Mm hmm. But, so, you go ahead. Sorry. No, I'm just going to say we went, like I said, I think a lot of my all-time favorites, I think at least two of my five all-time favorites have come out of Speyside just because that was something I was curious about. Well, that, that's that. That that's wrap it up with with the the three categories that you had mentioned. That's just you know one, two, three, and. Uh, that's that's sound off on what our our favorite is. I I think Nick we already know, but uh, <laughs> spoiler alert. I, I think Nick likes McAllen. I'm not sure. Yeah, but, maybe uh, just a little bit. 
So Logan, what were those three categories and, and just take us on a, a quick distillation of what we just went through as far as tasting notes and flavors and what is the hallmark of each of those categories? So base level, this first category is just the hallmark space side you're going to find in, it's one of those ones you're going to pick up, knows it, and you're like, this smells familiar. It's familiar, it's friendly because it does, there are notes that cross a lot of them. That's going to be those base pears, apples. Very small amount of spice, or maybe very small amount of wood, and then the honey. Um, next, moving up, that next category is going to be kind of moving where those uh, those fruits take a background note, and you move into that wood spice. You still have that honey, and you have a little bit of vanilla, but the focus is going to be those wood spice and those baking spices with a background note of fruit. Um, and the third category is going to be moving into those all of the exploration that they're able to do inside the Glenlivet. Like inside Space Side, like I said, Glenlivet 18, the ones I was going to mention is still most of the Glenlivets I tend to think of is like, oh, those are base level simple whiskeys. I went back and tried the Glenlivet 18 after years and I fell 100% in love with it. It's amazing whiskey. Um, it's one of those ones that I had kind of passed by. And unfortunately, it just happens to be one of those ones that a lot of people, just like bourbon or any other hobby, People don't want what everybody else has. Right. Um, and that just kind of tends to be a, a hallmark of man things. Like, <laughs> oh, everybody's got that. I don't want that one. I want the one that's cool. But there's a reason that things like Glenfiddich and the Glenlivet have been the best-selling whiskeys in the world. Yes, it's marketing, but they're also really, really good. <laughs> um, the Glenlivet is one of those. And one of the other bottles I have here that I'm waiting on a special occasion to open is one of my other favorites of all time. That's the uh, Balvaney oh. 21 Portwood. Oh. Um, I sit back that's in gonna my be chair. A yeah, that's going to be a special occasion of whiskey. But this bottle was <sighs> almost life-changing to me. Look at that color on it, too. Yeah, it's, it's dark. So and dark. don't even... And I, if I'm not mistaken, I, I don't want to quote this wrong, but I'm going to go ahead and try anyway. If I'm wrong, whatever, I'll correct myself next episode. But <laughs> they don't use port barrels. They use like these long tubes, like cylindrical tubes that were filled with, they were filled with port. Um, and so they're a lot smaller. So they're able to take on even more character and even more depth than you would be in a full-size barrel. And that it comes out amazing. as one of the most beautiful whiskeys I think that's ever been made. And one of the <sighs> reasons I enjoyed it, as I was talking about earlier, it's got a buttery, creamy texture to it. And it's 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 silk in your mouth. And it's amazing. Oh, man. I got to go, guys. I got to go to the liquor store quick. <laughs> <laughs> Have fun well, spending prepare your wallet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I look at um, it every time I go into the liquor store, $230. Yep. Yeah. So, and that's to say there, there are some that are painful. There are some that are worth it um, to me. Uh, for a lot of those people who might be looking into getting the scotch, don't just because other people, yes, I love that bottle because it's the way it was aged, but don't always take age for quality. Right. And said this, like this Glenfiddich 12 is a very baseline, very young in terms of scotch. And it's absolutely fantastic. Even as someone who drinks and who loves bottles like that, I adore the Glenfiddich 12. I adore the Glenlivet 18, which given used to be like $87. Now it's like <laughs> 150 But 
it used to be not something that wasn't crazy expensive. Um, don't discount lower age or lower price for not quality because the amount of stories in Scotland are putting out unbelievable things. And Glenn Farkless um, sits in Speyside is one of those. Uh, so you can look at Glenn Farkless. And if you haven't had it before, if I'm not mistaken, again, this one, it's still full family owned. And that actually keeps a lot of their prices low. If you look at most distilleries putting out 25 year old sherry aged whiskeys, it's like up in the $800 range. And they're right. still selling their 25 for like 200 bucks. Like they, Glenn Farkless puts out phenomenal products at a low price point and people look over it because it's old and lower price than everything else on the shelf. So when you're looking at these space sides, you're looking at all this stuff and you're looking for a best bang for your buck. If you're looking for best bang for your buck, age statement, Glenn Farkless. If you're looking for best bang for your buck, as far as just quality space side, I think the Glenn Livet's it, if I'm being honest. I would tend to agree too. And, and, and the Glen Lovett has a lot of different bottles all priced in that similar price point. Cause I think the, the founders, the, the founders is the cheapest, but then the 12, the 12 Caribbean reserve and the 14 cognac are all like the same price. They're all, they're all like 35, $40. So the Glen Lovett's definitely, I, if you're looking to get into space sides, that's where I would go. Mm-hmm. And Glenn Fiddick yeah. might be your next step up. Yeah, Glenn, Glenn Farkless and, and Glenn Fiddick are, are two bottles I have never had. Uh, I've never owned. I, I've had them. I've never owned them. Um, but this this Glenn Levitt Founders I bought uh, just because it was cheap. And I know Glenn Levitt is very good. And I've had, I've had Glenn Levitt 18 on my shelf before. Uh, mm-hmm. And other other Glen Levitts that are quality whiskeys, but so I think I would agree with you that Glen Levitt is as far as like overall just bang for your buck for a quality space side whiskey. Glen Levitt is probably the best if you, if you're trying to 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 treat yourself, maybe go for the Macallan. Um, and I don't know, Nick, would you agree that the Macallan Twelve or would you suggest maybe the the, the fifteen, the eighteen? What do you? If you're if you're gonna the Macallan Twelve is still at least. The last time I went to the liquor store, the Macallan 12 is still in that entry level, at least the the 12 double oak. The double oak. The, the Macallan the double, 12 the sherry oak cask is, is a treat That's, yourself bottle. Yes, absolutely. And it's worth it. <laughs> oh, it is absolutely. It's definitely worth it. And the same thing with the uh, the triple cask mature. The triple cask is it's the same as the double cask, but you get a little bit more um, of the the bourbony side of, of things for scotch because they also do a bit a portion of it in ex bourbon casks but the yeah, the the 12 sherry oak is absolutely a treat me bottle the double matured is probably still in that it's a little bit more expensive than the glen levitt's but it's it's well worth it in the intro price level agree because i think that the double oak probably sits around a little, just barely more than this Glenfiddich 12 might be around that 55 to $60 range. I get it for 45 to 50 up here. So yeah, it's, and it's right I'm in jealous. there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's uh thank you. Wisconsin liquor prices. Yeah. No kidding. 
Um, well, cool guys. I, I think I think I have a better understanding of Speyside. I think uh, anyone listening to this would understand what Speyside is. Uh, I have no idea where we're going to go next. We have five other places to go. <laughs> so Sounds like Isla. <laughs> we can do Isla. I will blow out my palate for the next month. Let's do it. <laughs> so... Well, thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate this. This has been a very educational uh, palette. uh, I I guess just – I want to say eye-opening, but it's not eye-opening. It's palette opening. That's the correct way to phrase it. Yes. (laughs) Most definitely. (laughs) So, well, cheers, guys. I appreciate this. Any parting words for uh, the Speyside uh, Scotch region? If you find something you don't like – I promise there's something you do. That's a good that's a good that's a good note. Definitely. To echo, keep looking. Sixty percent of all whiskey, of all scotch from or all whiskey from Scotland, all scotch comes from Speyside. Keep looking. You'll find something you like. Even if it's in that third mm-hmm. totally branched out area, you'll find it. Yeah, I will I'll add to that too, that the that 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 statistic is pretty incredible when you Google image Speyside and find on the map that <laughs> Speyside is this little tiny bean-shaped thing on the top of Highlands in the northeastern quadrant of Scotland. The fact mm-hmm. that, that the majority of the whiskey comes from Scotland in that little area, that's uh, that tells you enough. So there is definitely something out there for you. Absolutely. That's a, that's a, that's a good point. So, uh, all right, boys. Well, cheers. Thank you. I can't wait to have you on again. And we'll uh, continue down this whiskey trajectory of uh, education and uh, gentlemen and scholarly uh, intricate whiskey knowledge. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Thank you for joining the Kogan Conversation. Be sure to like, share, and follow us on all social media platforms. This podcast is available in video form on Facebook and YouTube and audio on all platforms where podcasts are supported. Please consider supporting us on Patreon. Just a few bucks a month can really help us grow. Visit us online at www.thekoganconvo.com for more details.